1: there's just so much that humans are capable of doing and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to explore that and we can't tell ourselves we can't we can't we can't rather than focusing on what we can
0: hello and welcome back to another episode of balancing acts in this conversation i talk to movement coach and author daryl edwards perfect Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they used to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health, and lots more. After almost two decades working in investment banking, Daryl transformed his health and lifestyle and became a movement coach and the founder of the Primal Play Method. He's the author of the best-selling book Animal Moves and a children's picture book called My First Animal Moves. His work has been published in the likes of Men's Health, L Magazine, Men's Fitness, The Daily Telegraph. Daryl's TED talk, Why Working Out Isn't Working Out, has been viewed over one million times. I've been wanting to speak to Daryl for a while, I first discovered this whole kind of new approach to working out via movement and incorporating the way that animals move and inhabiting that type of movement as exercise a few months ago. And it really changed my approach to exercise, which is something that Daryl and I talk about. His research on the importance of play in adults is something that I think is very relevant for creatives. And so uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. And I just want to say a big thank you because the ratings of Balancing Acts have really shot up over the last few weeks on Apple. And it really does make the world of difference in terms of uh, other people discovering the podcast and getting up the old Apple chart. So Thank you. And if this is the first time you've listened to the episode and you really enjoy it, please do rate and review it. That'd be much appreciated. And now, without further ado, over to Daryl. Well, Daryl, welcome to Balancing Acts. I've been wanting to speak to you for a while, and I'll admit... <laughs> Uh, initially, it was for quite selfish reasons. Having started movement coaching myself, as in taking uh, movement classes, I was fascinated by the whole culture of it. It's something that seems to be quite under the radar. And then I started to do some digging and and I came across you and and Primal Play. And I found your approach to be very inspiring. Shall we kick things off just talking about how you got into this line of work?
1: Yeah, so well, firstly, thank you for for your your flattery charm charm always uh, works well with me. Yeah. so um I got into movement well actually let me before before I knew anything about movement. I spent most of my adult life in the sedentary position. yeah, I was a computer programmer working within investment banking. And that's where I spent most of my my career, my former career. And because of that, and being very sedentary, I unfortunately suffered from some of the harmful effects of that, which included hypertension, high blood pressure, um, very poor lipid profile, which meant I had an elevated risk of cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke. And I also was diagnosed as pre-diabetic. I was very close to full-blown type 2 diabetes. And on on hearing this news in in an annual health check and asking okay what's next doctor was told not to worry we've got a, a cocktail of medication that you can take metformin for your blood sugars some statins for your cholesterol issues some beta blockers for your blood pressure and we'll see we'll see how you fare at a similar sort of time i was having lots of issues with low back pain chronic low back pain and that involved lots of lots of pain relieving meds as well. So at that point, thinking I'm relatively young, in my mid thirties, I I thought these sort of conditions affected us when we are older, for for one. And then secondly, wondering, I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? And my doctor said, well, it happens. Probably runs in the family. Take these meds and we'll be able to control the symptoms. If you have side effects, we'll be able to manage those. There are other medication we can can give you. And I said, well, can I try exercise? Because I know exercise, it does something with blood pressure, right? It helps in some way. Doctor was like, yes, it does. So I said, can I at least try doing some exercise and see if I can sort my lifestyle out? And that's what I did. And within a very short space of time, my health markers improved to the point where my doctor was no longer telling me, we need you on the meds now the doctor began saying, let's wait and see. Let's give it a few months. Let's give it a year. Let's give it a couple of years. And I was able to kind of stave off those those what were sort of red flag issues to become yellow flag, to become not really a problem. After living that sort of changed lifestyle for a while, recognizing I needed to exercise more, reevaluating my approach to, to diet and nutrition and, and so on, people started asking me questions. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? I don't really know. I don't really understand why, but it's working for me. And I wasn't satisfied not being able to give a compelling you know, reason for the changes that I'd, I'd implemented. So I started doing some research and by research was education. Yeah. So I, I became a personal trainer. I became a nutritional therapist. I got mentored by different individuals. I was really serious about learning as much as I could. I had quite a bit of disposable income, so I spent, I spent the cash traveling the world, you know, seeking out these experts that I believed would give me the knowledge to be able to impart to others. During that process, I realized, one, I'm not much of a follower, I do like to lead, and there was nothing really out there that I felt suited what I wanted to do sustainably. And able to motivate me to continue doing this. So that's what I was the, the initial stumbling block. Secondly, I realized my personality meant I was taking my work ethic, working hard in my day job, you know, do as much as I as I can. The more you did, the better you were into the gym. So I would that was leading to kind of physical burnout. Okay. You know, rest is for wimps, warm-ups are a waste of time. Mm. It's go 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 until you collapse on the floor every single workout. Yeah. If it's a if it's competition based, make sure you're top of the leaderboard. If that doesn't happen, it's a complete waste of time. Which is all well and good if that if that drives you the sort of performance aspects of fitness drives you, but there wasn't any enjoyment, and so I only enjoyed the process at the end when there was a goal. When I could say, hey, I won, or hey, I I raised some money for charity. Hmm. Or I could impress friends and family with a a physical achievement. But in terms of the process, I hated every second of it. I hated every minute of it. It was a chore. It was just punishment, punitive measures. That's all it it was. And I started to to procrastinate and started to put off my gym sessions. And it's like, oh, I'll I'll do it next week. I'll, I'll do it next month. I'll start again next year. And I was wondering why that was the case. Mm. I, f- I found this remarkable way. of improving my health. I don't have to take these meds. I've no idea how long that's for, but at the moment, mm. it's, things are looking pretty good. So why don't I want to continue to do this? Why do I want to continue to be sedentary? Well, what's, why am I being drawn to my chair? Mm. You know, why is that pull stronger than the pull of going to the gym? And my eureka moment was... Thinking about my love of movement and that love of movement that I had as a child, where it wasn't about exercise. It wasn't really about competitive sport either, because I wasn't that great at sport. But I love playing sport. Mm. But most of that love was after school, was at the weekends, was during the six-week summer holidays, where it was the emphasis was just on fun. Let's go out and play. So play being the magic word. That's what turned me on to exploring lots of movement you know get on our bikes let's go and ride for miles it's 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 the autumn let's go scrumping for apples in somebody else's garden because if they're in your garden who cares about climbing that tree let's find a garden that we shouldn't actually be in (laughs) because because that's more fun yeah you know so 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 there were all these adventures and I asked myself why doesn't movement or physical activity or exercise feel adventurous now? Mm. Why am I not feeling that same passion for movement that I did as a kid? And similarly, nearly everyone I knew felt the same way. All of my peers were exactly the same in terms of let's get outside Mm. and spend as much time outside as possible until your parents said, get in. Yeah. And usually that was like, oh, sorry, sorry, guys, I'm gonna have to go inside and have something to eat. Yeah. But don't worry, if, if I get the permission to come out again, I'll I'll just <laughs> get it down yeah. as quickly as possible. Yeah. And I'm back outside. So I realized that was missing from my own fitness journey. Okay. Joy, the joy of movement, pleasure from participation, that was absent. Mm. Cooperation, that was absent. Collaboration, that was absent, exploration. That was absent. So I realized I had to recapture, regain that joy of movement that I experienced as a a kid. And that allowed me to have the sustainable relationship with movement that enabled me to see movement as not just a fitness pursuit, but a lifelong pursuit. And my goals changed from short term goals that I set to longer-term goals mm. of health, longevity, maintaining function and independence as, as I age. Hopefully, being able to manage chronic conditions. Hopefully, being able to to choose things that are that are fascinating to me. Not just picking the things that I'm good at, but trying the things that I, I I'm probably awful at. But it doesn't really matter, yeah, <laughs> because there's no failure um, in me just playing around. Mm. So, so that's how Primal Play came about, is fusing this and the Primal Play method, fusing exercise science and, and all the things that we should be doing, that we know we should be doing for physical activity, mm. but using play psychology to make it more palatable. So it's almost like the if if exercise is a bitter pill, that is a wonderful pill for us to take. Mm why not use something to make it a bit easier to swallow? And in my case, that was using play as that vehicle.
0: Brilliant. I mean, that's such an inspiring journey, you know, from you leaving your nine to five job to going down the health and exercise and fitness route, but then discovering that actually there's a more enjoyable process to this. How did your mental health shift as a result throughout this
1: journey? So, yeah, initially my... My approach to movements was purely about my physical health. Yeah. So I had a health warning. I was able to, to reverse it and to to kind of put a put it on pause, right? So th- these these con- concerns that my doctor had, had I was able to put them on pause. Mm-hmm. And so my emphasis initially was just about my physical, my physical health. I was not really aware of the benefits of physical activity for mental health for one. And secondly, I hadn't really encountered you know, felt that I'd encountered anything that warranted a focus on my mental health. However, a- around the same sort of time as me making this lifestyle change decision, I was a victim of the, the 7-7 bombings in, in London. So wow. I was a passenger on a tube just coming to Edge Railroad on the morning of the 7th of July 2005, when there was an explosion. And I was a, a sort of adjacent carriage, probably 10 to 20 meters away from the explosion. And then I didn't realize it at the time, but that was the beginnings of dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. So back then it was stiff up a lip, just man up. Uh you know, the thought of doing therapy. I don't need therapy, I'm okay, I'm physically okay. I I survived, I don't have any physical um sort of side effects based on what happened. So I, I I kind of was like, yeah, I'm okay. I can deal with this.
0: You're able to compartmentalize it.
1: Yeah, push it, push it to one side, you know, patronize those who were struggling, you know, with the trauma. Like okay. why I don't I don't understand. Why you just get over it? Like right? mm. we're we're okay. But I wasn't I wasn't okay. I I one of the first things that I did was the following day, or even the same day, actually, I walked home with a few of us who 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 were on the same carriage, still not really knowing what had happened that it was a terror attack at the time there were rumors that it was uh, uh, like an electrical fault on the tube network, and so there had been these explosions, power surges so so initially didn 't know it was a, a terror a terrorist attack and uh, sort of walked walked home and I remember just going to the shower, kind of covered in Dust and smoke, and basically all the bits and pieces that come off the tunnel tunnel wall. And I remember washing myself, just literally staying in the shower for it could have been an hour, could have been two hours, just wow. trying to wash away the experience. You know, because i was obviously clean. You
0: know, yeah, yeah. And I was just
1: like, I just want to. And I, again, I didn't, I didn't notice that at the time. I, I, it was just something that I felt that that was I needed. Then I started to watch the news. Almost twenty four seven. I was like, I know, I know what happened inside out now, but I need, to, I need more. I need more of this. So I became hyper vigilant. I became, I was quite anxious, not realizing that why I became claustrophobic. I didn't want to travel into work on on public transport. So I, I got myself a bike. I sci- decided to cycle in. So I was cycling about probably eight, eight miles each way each day. I did it all the way from the summer, all the way through the winter, rain, snow, I mean, whatever. I was like, I don't care the weather, I just can't get on the, I can't get on the tube, you know? Mm. And um, three weeks later, when I decided to to get a, I got a cab into work because I wanted to work out the cycling route. So I got a cab into work three weeks later on the 21st of July, and there was a second attack that happened on the 21st of july and i remember thinking to myself i can't believe this has happened to me again and i i got into the work into work for the first time since the seventh i remember getting a phone call somebody saying Dowdy, are you aware that the attacks are happening again and i remember i just got up from my desk and was like guys i'm, I'm off jesus yeah and i and i walked i walked back Uh, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not even getting the cab. I'm not going to, you know, no one could get a cab back at that time anyway. Every, you know, so it was like, I'm just going to walk back. And I remember walking back thinking, I'm definitely going to be getting a bike into work. You know, why am I experiencing this? So feeling that I'm okay, I'm cycling to work, I'm I'm improving my health, I I feel okay. Do you need any counseling? No, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Fast forward to many, many years later, my sister, has a a cancer diagnosis my younger sister late 30s um rare very rare form of lung cancer and feeling at at her diagnosis that i I can help i can help you you know nutrition exercise all the things that we you need to do i'll i'll do whatever i can i'll speak to whoever i need to to be able to help you through this and i felt it was my responsibility older brother know a little bit but you know, now realizing, not not really. But I felt I did. I knew yeah. I know it all. I can help you. And witnessing what she went through, and witnessing her passing away, uh, which was unexpected. She had a heart attack as a, as a complication of, of of her cancer. Kind of witnessing that, being there, seeing my family, seeing this, seeing my mother. Most importantly, watching her daughter die, and me just thinking. I, I don't know how to process this. Everyone is crying, everyone's like really distraught. I feel separate yeah. from and aloof from this situation. Yeah. detached. I, I yeah, detached. Yeah. Yeah. Because I felt if I break down, I don't know how everyone else is going to cope. Sure. So I need to stay strong. I need to be the person who's gonna hold everyone to, together at this time. And I I became depressed. I I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. That's when I realized that's what it was. And, and, and it was a continuation of what happened on the 7th of July. Um, mm-hmm. Because interestingly, why I realized it was a problem was because I started to have nightmares and flashbacks, not only of my sister passing, but also of the bombing incident in 2005. I started having nightmares of the kind of Grenfell, Grenfell tragedy that occurred in, in, in West London. I was there, you know. I was in burning buildings trying to save people. So there were all, there were all of these, these ter- night terrors that I was having. Yeah. And I was like, I need some, I need some help. And fortunately I, I, I sought out help. I realized that it was okay to be dealing with this because I hadn't processed it. And it was okay to realize there's certain things you can't control and being yeah. a bit of a control freak, I thought that I could. And, um, (laughs) yeah, it's uh, and I suppose we're bringing that full circle to movement and physical activity. Why this is really important is at that stage, of it occurring many years later, I knew a lot of the science behind physical activity and improvements in mood, physical activity reducing depression, reducing the risk of anxiety, being able to have been just as effective as somebody taking antidepressants. So there's lots of research comparing those taking antidepressants with those going out for a walk and and movement outdoors is just as effective as taking medication. So I I knew all of this science could relay all of the stats. Interestingly, I couldn't give a front door. I was like, this isn't isn't helping me. I don't want to go outside. Mm. I don't want to move. I I don't want to eat well right now. I just want to stay indoors, play my Xbox. That's the only thing that I wanted to do at that point. Be very sedentary, eat crap, sleep only because I I need to be well enough to be able to play the following day, (laughs) basically. Right. And it took a while to realize that I developed this addiction to playing computer games you know, uh, and I started to avoid what any other work, and I started lying to my partner and saying, you know, she'd ask me, oh, what, what have you been up to today? And I would say, oh, I've been really productive. I've done X, Y, A, B, C, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Whereas actually, hadn't done any work at all, and no one knew I was going through this. Yeah. You know, my social media, I was still updating. Hey, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> reposting stuff from from before hey i'm outside hey well the life is great but Mm. but no life wasn't great and the turning point for me was convincing myself you know daryl you know this isn't any good for you you haven't been outside for months it's the summer you know like you're missing out on 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 a beautiful part of of london that you live why don't you go to your local playground? You know, my local park, as I Mm. call it, my playground. Why don't you go there and just have a bit of fun? Okay, okay, you know what? I'll just do it, convince myself, I'll do it this once. So I went to my local park. I found my tree, my favourite tree that I like to climb. And that's what I I did. I was like, I'm going to climb this tree. And it was a really difficult tree climb. So it's a tree that I climbed many, many times before. But on this occasion, it was, it was really difficult. It was difficult to get myself up in, into the tree. I was like scraping my arms and like, it, it, was, it was really uncomfortable. Anyway, I got up I got this tree and I remember sitting down in a tree and I remember looking at the grazes on my arms and thinking, I felt something. You know, the, the, obviously yeah. physical, the physical discomfort. I was like, I felt something. And, and this feels good. Even though it's uncomfortable, it feels good to be outside and and I'm I've, I've receiving some joy of something that I know is good for me. Yeah. Whereas I was only receiving joy from playing computer games, which when you're playing for you know, 12, 14 hours a day is not good for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that was a turning point. That was me reconnecting in practice, not the theory, in practice, the benefits of physical activity. Yeah. And, and the benefits of almost like building me experiencing something that's that was resilience building in a physical way yeah but transferring that to my mental health as well So
0: you're essentially your own guinea pig yeah
1: yeah i suppose it was it was a case of me eating my own dog food basically you know it was like i know this is medicinal yeah but i'm not taking the medicine yeah I know this I know that is good for my mental health. I, i'd be I'd be blogging about it. I'd be blogging about the benefits of mental health. yeah, I'd have all of the research and the citations, but I wasn't I couldn't accept it for myself, yeah, because I felt for lots of reasons. I felt too guilty. I felt in a very dark place. i real I needed therapy and going through that process and realizing that depression, there's a, def- a a really incredible definition of depression, which is that kind of depression is like an evolutionary uh, response. So, so all of our feelings, whether good or bad, all of our experiences, whether good or bad, there tends to be a, a sort of an evolutionary driver mm. for, for that reason, for that. One definition of, of depression is basically our inner kind of caveman doesn't want to go out to play. Okay. So, so you want to stay, you basically want to stay in your cave and you don't want to go out and experience the joys of the world. You don't want to go out and get food. You don't want to go out and be with your community, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, you want to avoid doing that. And that, that resonated with me because I realized I didn't want to continue to play anymore. Hmm. I wasn't getting any joy from life, yep. from life itself. So I had some escapism, which was my computer game. Computer game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the only thing that could give me some solace. But, but of course, it wasn't really giving me anything that was helpful in the long term. It was yeah. very short term, very short term gain. Nothing in the long term. And so that definition of of depression. And there's another fantastic definition of depression by Dr. Stuart Brown, which states that the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression. And again, I was like, thank goodness that I have these references to draw upon Mm. that completely describes how I feel. Yeah. You know, not like just being a bit down, you know, all of the kind of colloquial. Uh, terms for depression oh you know you're feeling a bit down you know you don't want to you just want to keep yourself up in bed and you don't want to talk to anyone you don't want to describe how you feel i'm like no none of, none of that none of that p- appears to be relevant it was when i had that i don't want to go out and play i don't want to enjoy anything i don't enjoy anything in life. what's the point yeah that's what, how i feel this is why i need help this is why it's okay for me to speak about how i feel to to other people and so i suppose when things went full circle from the physical reasons for me participating in physical activity and realizing the benefits for my health to encountering a serious mental health episode, yeah. and, and realizing that movement was a great part of, of the solution for me. It wasn't the only one, but it was certainly one where I felt as if things were starting to get better. Yeah. You know, and, and it's incredible that me feeling better was, was feeling that discomfort. I was, I remember scraping my arms thinking. Why am I doing this? You know, why why don't you just go back to comfort, which is get off the tree, go back home and you don't have to face this tree. But there was something inside me saying, yeah, you know, it's a struggle, you know, it's, you know, it's not easy, but that hasn't stopped you before. Why are you letting it stop you now? Yeah, Good point.
0: Yeah. So how long ago was that? How long ago was that, that period in time when you climbed up the tree and you rediscovered that play inside yourself?
1: yeah so that was sort of 20, um, 16. 2016
0: 2016 uh, okay 16,
1: 16 my sister passed away and and um yeah and i and and i struggled with that and i still i still continue to struggle so anyone who's who's dealt with or dealing with ptsd you realize it's it's kind of a lifelong battle journey yeah you learn how to you learn how to manage it you learn how to understand it but that those scars are, are always with you and it doesn't take much to to go back and trigger to it to that yeah to trigger it yeah so yeah
0: i've, yeah. I've always I've, firstly i mean thank you for sharing that because uh it's such a powerful story and i think it's incredible that you had the kind of realization that you were you'd got yourself into this place but yet you managed to take yourself out for it and you kind of almost intuitively knew what the remedy was as you were saying you'd already discovered movement before but you had to mm. come back to it, having gone through this this period of what sounds like, and and something I'm familiar with is is numbing the pain through sort of this repetitiveness. Uh, you know, there's, there's something mm. there's something quite comforting about doing something repetitive. You know, with computer games, et cetera. It's a very familiar space. You can almost feel safe within it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's like it, it's it's quite a at the time it feels like a it's fun, but it's it's a sort of a coping mechanism of sorts. Um, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's a coping mechanism, and I, and I suppose for me it was because I'm pretty, I'm quite good at computer games. Yeah. I, I, especially this one, so I only played the same game. What was, was the game? Same, I played the same game. It's a game called the the, uh, the Division. Okay. So so um you know but yeah it's a it's a game where you you're one of the heroes. Yeah. Basically, so you're you're a hero and you're and See. you're saving the world.
0: Yeah, well that makes sense. Uh,
1: and you and you're getting rid of the bad guys. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'm good at this. I, I it, you know, I can spend, you can pretty much spend an infinite amount of time. You, yeah. you, you just keep on progressing. It's not one of those get. You don't finish this game. You, keep, you just keep on right. going. Getting better. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just, you know, um, you just try to, you just, you're aiming for perfection. Right. So, so there was an element of control, I suppose, mm. you know, that I had within this virtual world Yes. I, I can control these outcomes. I can get rid of the bad guys. I can get better at this by playing this more.
0: Okay.
1: Whereas real life, I can't get my sister back. Okay. I can't you know deal with the fact that I was a victim of the, the terror attack in 2005 and it's still, and it's, and it's real, it's happening again, you know, so 2017, you know, there were uh, more terror attacks in, in London, London bridge and, Borough Market and so on, so so I, I was back into that into that space of yes. oh my goodness, you know I could be it could happen to me again, and yeah, I mean I could, yeah there were there were there was even another incident actually in in twenty seventeen where there was a suspect attack suspected terror attack at, at South Kensington, and I was there, so this was like, you know the third time that I, I felt I'd been caught up in a in a terror attack, and I remember thinking. Um, Why has this happened to me again? And interestingly, in that, I I will share that I know we've kind of gone off on on this tangent in relation to this, but I really want to share this because this this issue with how many people feel when it comes to dealing with their fight or flight response, their natural stress response, was being at South Kent, waiting for a bus. Actually, was waiting for a bus from South Kent with my partner, and there were helicopters overhead, police helicopters overhead. Bus hadn't arrived for ages. It's like, waiting for, instead of five minutes for the bus, it was like half an hour, 40 minutes, like, what's, what's going on, what's going on? And then, then there started to be like uh, police lines drawn, you know, blocking off streets. What's going on? Let's, let's go and have a look. Walked around the corner, saw about 20 fairly armed police walking down the street saying, run for your effing lives, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember immediately thinking, I'm off. My partner froze. She was like, I don't know what to do right now. Most people hearing the instruction walked, I would say probably 60, 70 people who were, who were there walked towards the danger. They walked in the opposite direction from where the police said to go because like, oh, that's more interesting. I'd say 60, 70% of people took out their phones, need to record what's happening, or just the remainder froze. And there's probably a handful of people, myself included, who were like, I don't care what's happening. I'm at it. I'm not interested in what's happening. We're off. Yeah. You know, partner had a heels, and I was just like, heels are off, babes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's barefoot. Yeah. We're gone. Right. So we were, we were running, sprinting away. I remember telling people, hey guys, 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 don't go that way. There's something going on. There. I think there's an, a terror attack or something like that. Oh really? <laughs> Again, most people were like, really? And went, went towards the danger. Like, really? And you're thinking, do I, do I try to convince them? I haven't got time to convince them. I've already told them. If they're not interested in, in listening, fine. Let's go, 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 go. So by that stage, like shutters were coming down So people trying to rush into restaurants and stuff. Shutters were coming down. You know, I remember thinking that's not a safe haven anyway. I don't want to be inside any, any building. Let's go. Right. So we ran towards uh, South Kensington tube station. Let's get on a tube and get out of here. Got to South Ken tube. The shutters were coming down at the tube station and on the tunnel, it said suspected bomb alert at South Kensington tube, like, you know, evacuate, evacuate. So then it was like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is, this is, this is getting really, really I serious. See. Let's continue running. So we basically ran, so if anyone knows that part of London, we ran from South Kensington towards Hyde Park. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking, got to get to open space, right? You know, Hyde Park's going to be pretty pretty open. That should be pretty safe. So anyway, running through, again, telling people who are walking in that direction, don't go that way. <laughs> I, I honestly would say 99% of the people I spoke to, when we, whilst we were running, carried on walking in that, in that direction. So... How incredible is it that many people now, when faced, when confronted with real danger, are uh, have no idea what to do. And my partner was very thankful. She was like, Thank goodness you knew yeah. what to do in the situation, because I had I had no idea. Mm. So I just went straight into kind of survival mode, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Sure. Anyway, to cut a long story short, by the time we cut through Hyde Park, it's a few miles away and then walked into to, to Notting Hill Gate and then Portobello Road, which is where we originally wanted to get to, everything was calm. You know, there, there was no, like, no text messages, no, no alerts. So what's, what, what's happened? Looking at the news, there doesn't seem to be much reported on this. So what had happened was a cab driver had um, basically mounted the payment at, at Natural History Museum yeah. and, and had run over a few passengers. He was of Middle Eastern descent. Um, and so the suspicion was it was a terror attack. And actually, this driver had a heart attack at the wheel. That's what, that's what wow. happened. So fortunately, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a terror attack. But of course, at the time, no one knew. Police didn't know. Um, but it was, it was shocking how many people were not concerned about their safety, felt it was better to be able to get some social media kind of you know points recording stuff i'm like if the police are telling you and they're swearing at you right if they're swearing at you and they're armed police and telling you to run for your lives what is there to debate what is there to quibble right so yeah it's i suppose um moving on from the, my experiences that moment was another moment where i felt movement was my savior of course
0: of course Perfect. It's so interesting hearing you talk about this because when we'll get onto this, you know, shortly, but when I watched your, your Ted talk, why working out isn't working out, I think the thing that resonated with me, and I think the majority of the audience is like your passion, there was so much passion behind what you were talking about. And, Mm. you know, some people I think, okay, well, you know, it's health, it's fitness, you know, it's not necessarily groundbreaking, but, you know, given all the experiences you've been through and how you've incorporated movement to transform not just your physical health, but your mental health, it makes complete sense why you would be driven by such passion to share this subject matter.
1: Yeah, no, well, thank you. I mean, thank you for that. Thank you for watching the TED Talk. And, but yeah, I think it's, it's um, you know, we, we, you know, I suppose, am I a passionate individual in general? It's difficult for
0: me to say. Were you passionate he, in your job as a computer programmer in investment banks? Yes. You were. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. I, I I suppose that I was because because it was one, it was very difficult for me yes. to enter that world. Okay. So for many, many reasons, but it was so difficult for me to get the jobs that I wanted to get. So so when I first started my career, you know, everything from you know, we're not sure if you're gonna fit in here. People can work out for themselves what that means. <laughs> um, yep. To you didn't go to the right um, to the right university, the right school. Your parents aren't doing the aren't doing the sort of jobs that that we that's acceptable. You know. So so to oh, I, I'm in. I'm doing really well. I'm now at a point where employees aren't saying no to me. They they're kind of begging me to, right. to 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 join them. Yeah. So I, so I, I think I had to forge this passion. To be able to say, what can I do to mitigate the the, the risk of them saying, "We loved everything about you until we saw you, <laughs> until you, yeah. get, until we saw you in person." We, you know, like we've got there's two of you here, and even though you're more qualified than the other person, we, we're we're going to go for the other person because we don't think you're going to fit in. So I was like, okay, I, what can I do to 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 be as the, the best that I can to reduce the risk, the, the likelihood of them saying no. So yeah, so there was a there was a passion. I wanted to be right, you know. Yeah. I wanted to help. I wanted to be the best at what I did, and so that passion, um, I suppose, transferred to me saying, "Okay, I want to do something that I actually really enjoy." Yeah, that I continue to join. And, and movement, movement was that because of my personal experience, but also I want to share that with others. So I'm, I'm I'm passionate about this. I believe it can it can be helpful. I've removed the judgment probably the judgmental aspects of, of that when I first started out to the experience, you know, how can I get people who are confronted with armchair, comfortable sofa, Netflix, ex, you know, subscriptions, go outside and play. <clears throat> what? As an, adult, as an adult, are you kidding me? Yeah. I can't even get my kids to go outside and play. Yeah, <laughs> And you want, and you want me to talk, think about playing again. That was, I did that as a kid. Don't want to, you know, so, so yeah, it took a lot of passion and drive to work out how can I make this something that people will resonate with? Yeah. Is, this, is this just about me? Or is, are there other people where this will resonate? And I found that there, there were individuals who were like, oh, I've never heard this message before. Yeah, That's exactly what I needed to hear. You're delivering something that, that caters for, for people like me. And lots, lots of those individuals weren't exercise people, you know. They were your, your average, you know, individual who was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit disenfranchised with exercise. You yeah. know, I don't particularly like the gym. Yeah. You know. Um, as, well as,
0: as well as finding it boring, people get intimidated stepping into a gym.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they find it intimidating. And, and you know, like you, your point you mentioned earlier about, the, about repetition, you know, there's something about repetition that we can enjoy when we're when we're in these spaces where it's just like I just want to I just want to numb things out. Yeah. And if you look at if you look at some of the official definitions of exercise, especially aerobic exercise, one of them is you know repetitive, rhythmic, physical activity, mm. right? Yeah. And 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 so when you think about exercise, much exercise, you know, it's like, yeah, you're running, you know, running a straight line for as long as you can, repeat that same motion, get on a bike, repeat the same motion, do burpees, do star jumps, go, 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 just keep doing it, do it, don't stop, don't stop. (laughs) And and this kind of rhythmic pattern for some can hypnotize some people. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, this is bliss, this is heaven. Oh, I can keep doing this forever. Love it, love it, love it. Yes, 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 yes. But for the majority of people, they're like, that's almost like a cult. You know, there's, there's something about it which is quite cultish yeah. where I don't feel as if I belong and it's the complete opposite to play. Yeah, Because as a kid, right, even though there is repetition, you, you, you choose the things that you like, you do the same the similar sort of things. There's so much variety. Hmm. There's so much hinging on, do we kind of agree that we're going to be taking part in this right now? You know, as soon as you get bored playing a game, I love playing tag, for example. I like, loved it. Loved bobbing so nice. and weaving. Yeah. You know, loved it, loved yeah. it, loved it. But I wouldn't want to play it all day. Yeah. No matter how much I loved it and my friends loved it, we wouldn't play it all day. You play it, you go, let's do something else. Let's yeah. get a ball and kick a kick about. Again, love playing football with my friends. We wouldn't play it all day. Mm. <laughs> because, because as soon as it became boring, we'd stop. Mm. We've exercised. You feel as if you feel as if you're not doing the work. If you stop at the point where you feel I don't want to do this anymore, you've failed, you know, because you haven't run. If you're going to do if you're doing a 5K and you decide after 1K, oh, you know what? Just don't really feel like up to you. Don't really feel like, oh, what do you mean? You're supposed to do 5K. Yeah. Right. You've got, to, you know, yeah. so, you, know so you don't almost don't have a get out clause. Right. Yeah. So with play. You always have this get out clause. You can always choose from almost an infinite variety of activities that you can think of almost like an improvised state. What we're going to do today, guys, again, imagine imagine being a kid. These are a couple of things that I, I, when I talk about childhood play, and I remember my friends knocking my front door and saying, hey, let's go out. They didn't end that sentence with, let's go out and exercise. (laughs) Didn't happen. Let's go out and play sport didn't happen let's go out and train didn't happen yeah the end of that sentence was usually let's go out and, and play. play you know what i mean mm. let's go on this crazy bike ride where we're we gonna go don't know don't know don't know where we're just gonna we're just gonna go somewhere right uh, and then and we're not just gonna ride our bikes you know we, we were on bmx's so it was like you know we're gonna try and do some tricks and bunny hops and like yeah you know, there's all these different things that we do, you know, learn to skateboard,
0: roller skating. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. There were just so many activities. And, and when it comes to exercise, we narrow this kind of field of vision that we have of activities. We narrow it right down to one, two, you know, to a handful and we go, ah, that's what we're going to do is exercise. That's what I'm good at. That's what I'm, I enjoy very repetitive, love this. I, I can people can tell me that I'm really good at this. You know, I can get awards, you know, I can record my time, I can, I can, I can design a program around something which makes me look good. And I can track my progress and feel great about myself. Mm. Most of the things I did as a kid, we we didn't track. Yeah, right. You know, we didn't record how many miles we were, we we went on our bikes. Yeah, we didn't um, upload our run yeah. straight
0: away to Strava.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To we get up kudos.
0: Up. But to get it's, it's kudos,
1: yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting
0: because you, you talk about in, in the, the TED talk, you you mentioned the inner child. And mm. my sense is that as a society, we're led to almost forget our inner child, grow up, focus on being sensible, knuckling down, et cetera. And, and all of that seems to into play with what you've just said, you know, about work out to get achievements, et cetera. And so you lose a sense of play. And um, it's almost like you have to rediscover your imagination to move back into that mode of being. And I found it fascinating at that point in the talk where you invited people onto the stage and Mm. uh, to have this sort of slow motion fight, obviously (laughs) non-contact. And you can see everyone, they could all just light up. And then you invite the rest of the room to do the same. And you can hear everybody laugh. And it's almost like this sense of people feel exposed. You know, there's a sense of vulnerability that comes with that. But once you get past that, it's such an enjoyable thing. I can relate it from a sense of, of comedy. You know, either mm. performing comedy, but as an audience member, when you're laughing, you're opening up, you're opening yourself up to a certain degree. And a, mm. lot, of the, a lot of the time it could be, you know, a, sort of a herd mentality. If, if no one else is laughing, are you going to really be the only person in the room to laugh? <laughs> well, the other yeah. people are laughing, you're on board type thing. And you can yeah. you feel yeah. comfortable to laugh. And I feel it was the same in that room. You know, once everybody was on board, they were all open to playing.
1: Yes, yeah. And, and you know, um, the, the organisers of the event asked me, do you want to have some kind of some stooges? Right. Right. Um, okay. Do you, do you want to kind of prep the audience beforehand? Yes. Hey, you know, he's going to ask you to play. Can you play, you know? And I was like, no, even though I probably should, have. <laughs> it's a bit of a gamble, but, but I said, no, I said, I want a natural response. I want to hopefully, I, you know, hopefully want to encourage, encourage people. So if it's difficult, there's lots of resistance. I want to talk about that resistance live. You know um but yeah fortunately you know the volunteers were, were willing so you know people ran on, i didn't have to ask twice It was like yeah people are up on the stage um and then and then in terms of the audience participation pretty much the whole auditorium um were, were, were taking part which was which was Brilliant. superb i really loved i really loved it and I, and I wanted to continue i just remember thinking oh you know i'm kind yeah. of running out of time and I really want to continue. So do one more. Yeah, let's do one more, you know. And <laughs> so adult humans have traded their own forms of play. Yes. Like adult, adult forms, you know. So, so play becomes things like um, playing poker. Gambling is, is a form of play, you know, going to a nightclub and getting smashed. That's, that's play, you know. That, that becomes the, the 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 adult forms of play that we couldn't you couldn't do as a kid. Now we've got a grown up version of these activities. But when you look at other animals, like say a big cats, they play chase. Yeah. They they play rough and tumble. You know, with the youngsters. You know, there's the, they they don't decide. Oh, you know, I'm too old now. Do you know what I mean? They may be, they may have to slow down. They may not move as as you know exuberantly as they did when they were younger. But it's, you can see it's kind of a, it's instinctive and it's a, it's a mentality, right? That playful, that playful spirit. If yes. that is still accessible, that's what's harnessed. And you can see that in some humans, you know, some older adults who, who have that twinkle in their eye. Yes. And, and even though they're struggling to move, you know, they're like, it's really uncomfortable or they, they have to use mobility aid. But if they've got that spark in their eye, it's they become more youthful sure. they become more excitable for sure and 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 that's what I that's what I recognize in terms of trying to embrace my inner child mm. and talking about passion right my inner child was locked away for many years because I felt I couldn't be open to, to for anyone to experience to, to see that you know yeah. like oh you know you're just a big kid you know yeah, yeah. no one likes a big kid And I'm like, but I am, you know. Why does no one find this comfortable? Uh, And sharing something quite personal, I'm surprised I'm being so vulnerable today. But I remember whenever I go, you know, my my say nephews and nieces having having birthday parties, and all the adults are like, yeah, we're gonna get a bouncing castle, and we're gonna have all this entertainment and this, that, and the other. And then you know, we're gonna go and have a chat, and the kids are going kind of playing around, and (laughs) it would take me about five minutes to duck out of the adult chat talking about politics or whatever. And I'm like, shoes off. I'm like, if, I, if, that, if that bouncing castle can take my weight, <laughs> I'm there. And, and that was one, that was probably the only way I felt I had an excuse to be my, my real self.
0: Sure.
1: The kids wouldn't judge me my nephews and nieces would love me oh my, you're my favorite uncle like you know yeah. you're so playful and and some of my favorite parties of that of that type would be like I'm having more fun with the kids than with the with the adults and it's really funny because even on a bouncing castle you know kids will start saying things like can you jump on the bouncing castle really hard so that we can <laughs> basically they were like basically like almost like a, a rocket lifting off you know so so the dynamics just change. And, you know, kids are, again, they're looking for experiences. They're looking for these amazing experiences and they can see very quickly like, Oh, okay. I can jump a certain height, but if you're here, we can jump even higher. We can, (laughs) we can time it correctly. We can get, we can get more high. And because you're here, you can, if we jump too high, you can catch us and you can help us and you can make sure it's safe. So they, they, they start to develop this awareness, you know, and, and, they're laughing, I'm, I'm laughing. But I used to feel guilty in, in many respects for not wanting to have more adult time. Yeah. You know, I used to feel concerned that I, I had more fun, you know, on bouncing castles with, with, with the kids and playing hide and seek and, you know, like what's, what's happening to me? But I realise now it's because I just didn't have enough play in my life, yeah. you know, real unadulterated play. Yeah, and and that's what I was starved from. That's what conformity said. You've grown up now. Be serious. Behave yourself. Put that childish, those childish ways behind you. You're never going to get that back.
0: Yeah.
1: And now, and with my first sort of group set group sessions that I had, and I remember on a, on a Saturday morning, I started running weekly Saturday morning sessions for an hour, hour long. And at the end of the hour, and it was all it was all playful. It was all play based. And at the end of the hour. I would often say, okay, guy, yeah, time's up, guys. Sorry, yeah, end of the session. You know, I'm gonna stick around for a bit. Do you want to continue? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it was like that. It was like, yeah, you know, yeah. we've got an excuse to be out to play, you know. And and so some of those one-hour sessions used to last like three hours, three and a half hours, and it'd be people would be going, Oh, I really wanna stay, but I've actually Brilliant. got life. You know, what I mean, I've got yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some responsibilities, but you could see. The transformation in my in my coach client relationship. Yeah. When I first started, my clients would be they'd be arriving late for sessions. They'd be clock watching. You know, I'd be bored. Being a personal trainer was going to be so exciting, but I'm bored just standing here telling giving people instructions. Yes. I, you know, I want to participate, but I don't want to participate with the things that I'm telling them to do. So that happened, that was another shift for me. I started doing the sessions with my clients. Right. And really enjoying it. And they would stop clock watching. And at the end, they would say, I can't believe an hour's already finished. Yeah. You know, Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait for our next session. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it, it feels like um, there needs to be an innate sense of curiosity in order to carve out the individual path like you've done for yourself, you know you've obviously tried and you've experimented with different elements. Like you were saying, you were a personal trainer. For a lot of people, that would be enough being a personal trainer, and you know you, you can make a great career out of that. But you're like, actually, you actually know what? There isn't enough of a sense of play, and this feels repetitive for me. I want to try something else, and it leads me on to to my next question. You mentioned before about you know the playfulness in animals, and mm. um, I know you're also a best-selling author, and one of your books is entitled Animal Moves. And I'm quite fascinated by that. Can you talk a little bit about how that book came to be and, and the sort of overlying ethos running through it?
1: Yeah, so, so um, you know, thinking about movement and thinking about hum- the human's capability for movement, as I mentioned earlier, there were, there were so many things that we can do. Yeah. But we tend to pick only a handful of things when it comes to exercise to, to, to kind of work on. And when we look at the animal, the rest of the animal kingdom, there's one so much variety when it comes to different movement patterns. Right. And the specialists of those movement patterns exist usually within the rest of the animal kingdom. So, for example, an ant in terms of kind of size to, to you know strength ratio, one of the strongest animals on the planet they can lift a thousand times their body weight unbelievable. and they can carry it for the equivalent of miles if a human can carry twice their body weight they're applauded yeah you know they they lift five times their body weight that's world record for example right they can lift a thousand times their body weight a flea can jump a significant distance again compared to its, its body size wild sheep can run faster than sprint faster new same bowl you know so like <laughs> As soon as you start comparing, we compare ourselves to other animals yes. okay. in terms of specialties, we're, we're very poor. We can't run very fast. We can't, we're not very strong. You know, we can't swim as well as, the, as the, the, the best in the sea. We can't climb as well as the best of the, the, the animals that climb. And you could, you could go on,
0: yeah.
1: right? You know, compare a to say. cheat at top speed compared to Usain Bolt. By the time the has got there, you've, Usain is just out of the starting blocks right? so like slow, basically, right? But using that reference from the animal kingdom and ourselves, you realize even though we can't do many of those movement patterns well, we can still do them. Yeah. Whereas other animals could only do one or two movement patterns and usually what they're best at. So our advantage, advantage as human beings is that we can do all of those movement patterns. We can crawl, we can climb, we can walk, run, sprint, we can lift and carry, we can jump. There are all these things that we can do, and yet we don't do them mm. when it comes to exercise. So that's that was the sort of underlying ethos of this book, that if I move like the animal that I am, if I reference the animal kingdom, if I take part in all of these different movement patterns, I'm going to become stronger and healthier and fitter and you know, more mobile, improve, improve my mobility and my flexibility and improve my stamina and endurance and also increase my motivation because I'm taking part in, in more, in different things. And I'm going to be more connected with my body in terms of movement because there's going to be lots of things that I go, oh my goodness, you know, why is crawling on all fours is so difficult? Why is yeah. it so challenging both for the mind and the body? Why? There's a period in my life where crawling was very, very efficient, right? It was the, it was the yeah. only way I could get from A to B. You know, now I try doing it. I'm like, I'm all fingers and thumbs. I'm like, what the hell is <laughs> what the heck's going on? Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was basically the, the ethos. Let's move out the animals we are. Let's use our anim, the animal kingdom as, as reference. Yeah. And let me create a, a sort of a structure around, okay, how can I get stronger using animal moves? These are the sort of things you need to do. How can I improve my balance and coordination? How can I improve my endurance? You know, how can I basically get all of the things that I want from fitness that would improve my health? Yeah. Here you go. Within this book, here's a program. Here's somebody, something for somebody starting out. Here's something that's a bit more, more advanced. Here's a few elements of play thrown in. So I, I include climbing trees and playing games of tag, for example. Yeah. So I, I have those suggestions within the book that hopefully takes people who are very serious about three sets of 10 to more freeform aspects of movement as well. Okay. So I know you asked for a small description, uh, but, but I felt you warranted a, a decent explanation around- No, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Um, the thing that I really like about the sort of animal movements is that you're using your own body weight and you're moving away from lifting weights. The first move that I was introduced to was, I think, the basic one that everyone is, the, the bear crawl, uh, mm. where I was sort of my hands and uh, knees on the ground, but then as I'm crawling, my knees are off the ground. And it was surprisingly challenging because you're really using your core. And I felt like mm. I was getting a full body workout from it. But, you know, I yeah. went once back and forth and then I was exhausted. <laughs> first time yeah, around, first time round. It's, hum- yeah, it's, hum- it's humbling.
1: It's, it's a humbling movement yeah. because not only are you supporting your body weight, you know, sometimes body weight gets a, a, bad, a bad rap, you know, like, oh, it's only a body weight. It's not like, it's not like lifting weights, you know. Yes. And it doesn't have to be comp- complex. So oftentimes people only respect bodyweight work when it's really difficult. Like, oh my gosh, he can do a handstand on one on one arm. Oh yes, yeah. he can do the human flag. Oh my good, you know, amazing, impressive. You do a bear crawl. I <clears throat> oh, just it's a bit of a joke. That's somebody playing around. But actually, the amount of exertion required—not just physical, but mental—the coordination challenge, the cross-body. Quadrupedal, you know, basically all four limbs moving—that is extremely difficult. Mm. The core being involved in locomotion is very, very difficult. And so once you appreciate this difficulty, which in, which involves exploration again, rather than going, oh, I'm not going to do that because that's for kids or that's for people who just want to play around with movement, actually it's very beneficial. And the reason why I like crawling. Probably the bear crawl is probably my, one of my favorite animal moves is because it's your whole body. So you're getting all muscle groups are working. One. Secondly, it isn't just about strength. It's also about stamina because it's a good aerobic challenge. So if you bear crawl for a while, your heart and lungs are uh, letting you know you've done some, you've done some work. Yeah. Your muscles are letting you know <laughs> you've, you've done some work and there isn't really anything that isn't, isn't being worked. You're getting maximum benefit for the time that you invest. So you're getting two for the price of one, I feel. So So why not give that a try? And once you get over the fact that it isn't a warm-up exercise, again, most people go, oh, "Yeah, oh yeah, I do. I do some of your animal moves for warm-ups. And I'm like thinking, if you really did those moves, you wouldn't be able to do a workout afterwards. You can be done just doing a handful of, of animal moves for for sure. not make much time. You can be spent. It's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. Because again, we these movement patterns are not efficient for us. Mm. You know, like a, a four-legged creature walking for miles on all fours, it's very efficient for them, right? That's what they were designed to do. For us, we're designed to be bipedal creatures yeah. very efficiently. So we can walk for miles. Many of us can walk for miles and it has no, it's not about fitness usually. It's just about, yeah, I can, I can do this without too much difficulty. I can stand for hours, not that much of a problem. You support yourselves on all fours without even moving, right? Our body complains in seconds. Yeah. Like what? You know, you start to shake, stabilize the muscles. Going, what the heck is going on? Just supporting your body weight, right? So yeah, I, I think it's it's um it's easy to patronize animal moves sometimes, especially those who do lots of hard work in the gym. They go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't got time for that. I'm doing yeah. I'm doing real work. I'm doing bench, but work. actually, yeah, actually. Yeah you know um either integrate do your your serious stuff integrate some of these animal moves because they'll they'll flesh out your program they'll reduce the risks of injury they'll you know your joints be more pliable you'll you'll increase get your stabilizers kicking in um there are so many there are so many benefits outside of oh I'm doing bicep curls and working my I'm working my muscles right so yeah so yeah I don't want to I don't want to kind of knock anyone who does have a really good gym program but um if you want to expand your repertoire and have a wider range of movements to call upon that are more functional then animal moves are a great way a great place to start
0: yeah I think for a lot of people it's just off the radar it's something that isn't talked about a great deal it's mm. not like you said it's not like doing weights it's not like going to the gym it's something that people it's something that i discovered through just doing research online and then i was like okay, mm. this, this is actually what i've been looking for something to help me move in a more natural way move my body yes. in a natural way
1: yeah yeah that's a great way that's a great way of putting it and but let me let me say i would probably just say that the other thing about animal moves is that at one point for most of us in our childhood we did those movements Yes. We pretended to be other animals. We right. jumped like kangaroos, you know, we, we pretended to be elephants or, yeah, yeah. or, you know, flapping our arms like birds or, you know, there were, we, we did that. And, and we weren't necessarily told to do it. It was kind of part of our instinct. You know, we pretend to be dogs or, or cheetahs or, or whatever. I mean, I suppose look at um, toddlers mm. when they, cli- when they, when they're climbing, you know, they're told not to climb usually, right? That's, that's what parents will say. But they don't need to be told that, oh, there's a sofa over there. Let me see if I can climb it. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's part of our DNA to explore what our bodies are capable of. And adults may not feel comfortable watching their kids, you know, climb chairs, say, yeah. but that's what they want to do. And there's, there's some great footage. You search on YouTube, looking at toddlers who, you know, they wait till their parents are asleep and they'll climb out, you know, their parents, basically parents don't know that they can climb over their safety gates or that they can climb out of their cots. Yes. And, and, and as soon as, they, as soon as their parents or believe the parents are gone, they're like, you know, like climbing out.
0: Night crawlers. The room. Yeah,
1: night yeah. Cra- yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's, there's a, a really great footage. I've got to, I've got to mention this. There's some really great footage of kids who literally climb they like climb wardrobes, they're young like you know that nine nine months old a year old they'll scale they scale wardrobes, wow, scale fridges and fridge freezers like double side fridge fridge freezers, and they'll <laughs> basically when when the parents aren't watching that's basically what these video is about, yeah. when the parents aren't watching that's what kids. <laughs> kind of will get up to if they have the opportunity, right? And it's amazing seeing how adept they are, how capable they are at this movement and how safely they do this. You're just thinking, oh my goodness, why if they fall, what if they're... And they're like, we've got this, we're okay. Yeah. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's just so much that humans are capable of doing and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to explore that. And we can't tell ourselves, we can't, we can't, we can't, rather than focusing on what we can.
0: Yeah. On the subject of play, what do you do outside of your work, Daryl, to relax and unwind, aside from computer <laughs> games?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was going to be my go-to. <laughs> um, yeah, you know I suppose I, now that i realise realized how important play is within my life. So yeah. play used to be just about active play. Mm. about physical activity now i realize play has become more much more important to me as an adult so i want to laugh more you know so whether that's comedy for example you know i want i want to have more of those experiences where i can i can feel good feel better about myself have some fun which isn't about you know alcohol consumption or some of the other things that i used to do to have fun um um you know listening to music you know like again even listening to music, sometimes we can feel you have to multitask. Yeah, oh yeah, I can have the music on in the background, but it's because I'm doing this really important stuff. Mm. And actually spending time thinking, no, actually at this time, all I want to do is nothing but listen to music. Mm. Mm. No distractions, immerse myself. And I think that immersion is something that comes from this papal spirit. You're far more able to become mindful not because you're trying to develop a mindful practice yes or to meditate but because you're you're already more in tune with your with your with the now mm. and so if you're listening to music say or you, you know whatever you're doing that you find enjoyable you're able to put a little bit more time and effort and energy into oh my goodness, goodness this is so enjoyable mm. you know and not feeling guilty about it You know, like, you know, when I was a kid, a teenager, I used to play, you know, one of my favorite songs was, and it was on a cassette tape, Mm. right? And I might have got recorded from the radio. So record it from the radio, try to avoid the DJ speaking at the end, you know, and I'd play it again and again and again, rewind it, play it again, rewind it, play it again. And there comes a point in a time like now where you go, it's more important to have more music more tunes bigger libraries yeah then you actually enjoy music less sure sure do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> you don't try to squeeze you know <laughs> when you had less music you would squeeze out every single note lyric beat harmony whatever <laughs> yeah from that song because you wanted to enjoy it as much as you could uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I, hopefully I've answered that question
0: about... No, for sure. It's yeah. it's that it's that classic thing though, isn't it? Of something that goes from being a hobby to then a doing project, you know, and so it loses its sense of enjoyment or something that goes for a hobby and then becomes workmanlike and suddenly it loses that sense of lightness and excitement and just, as you're saying, just being purely present and enjoying it for what it is rather than trying to, for it to become an ambition to get to X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I think I think that's what I would say... That's my sort of pursuit right now. Okay. Is trying to find more of those movements, more of those moments that I can I can enjoy the things that I've always been passionate about, like music. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been passionate about it. Mm. But I would spend time throughout my life going, oh, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Mm. It's a it becomes a background task. Yeah. And I'm like, actually, no, it's not a background task for me. I really love music. I really love music. And and why should I not want to play this song just because it's old, Yeah. or just because I've heard it a hundred times? It still sounds great, even if I play it a thousand times. So, you know, you know, you know, you know. Sometimes you have conversations. People say, "Oh my God, I can't believe you're still playing that song. <laughs> you still listen, You know, it's like, well, but I I enjoy it. Yeah. And and that used that used to be enough for me to go, oh yeah, they they're, they're kind of right. Yeah yeah yeah. It's 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 2021. You know, 2022. Yeah. Why? Why am I still listening to that? Why am I still actually? It's my favorite song, and I love it, and I couldn't care less what anyone else thinks. But it takes sure. it takes a lot to 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 be able to say it's okay for yes. me to be enjoying this and for me to dedicate time to this because it's a it's a purely unadulterated pleasure.
0: Yeah,
1: it's an it's an innocent pleasure, and we don't have enough of those in life. I would say.
0: Look, if you're into Celine Dion, that's your business.
1: <laughs> well, now you're going <laughs> a be too far, mate. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Two more questions for you, Daryl. The, the next one is, are there any books that you've read over the course of your life that stand out to you as having inspired you or having had a positive impact on you in some shape or form?
1: Yes, I suppose, I suppose it would have to be a couple of books that were part of my kind of formative years in relation to to lifestyle change. Okay. Um, one is called The um, Paleolithic Prescription. Okay. Um, this is actually a book from the late, late 80s. I read this in the 90s, um, and that was the first book that, that spoke about our ancestral past, spoke about hunter-gatherer lifestyles, and said there's an evolutionary mismatch. There's a mismatch between the modern world and how we used to live in the past, in terms of how we moved, what we ate, you know, how we slept, all, all, all these things that are quite topical now. This book spoke about that. And that gave me the first sort of bit of insight into, into realizing just because it's modern doesn't always mean it's better. Mm. That was probably the first time that I had that realization, like, oh, that's really interesting, you know. Um, and so that forms part of what I do with my work in terms of movement and natural movement. How were humans evolved to move and what environments were they moving in? And that should dictate what we can do now, even within the modern modern world. So that's the first. The second book is by Jared Diamond, Guns, Germs and Steel by Jared Diamond. And and the reason why that book is really important resonates with me is because he spoke about the agricultural revolution being the most harmful moment in human history. Or one of the most harmful moments in human history. Okay. Where war became more commonplace, people living close in closer habitats increased the likelihood of infectious disease and um, our foods changed so we went from hunter gatherer lifestyles to to farmers and became more sedentary so so there's this whole kind of tome on on the evidence supporting the health of our of our ancestors in comparison to the relative comfort and privilege of the modern era and where the differences are so yeah those those are the most important books okay that, and even though they're, you know, they're probably dated in many respects, and there's there's more evidence um, supporting many of those original hypotheses, but the essence of that and the importance of that is still the same for me. Brilliant.
0: And my final question to you, Dara, is: What does the idea of balance mean to you, or not?
1: Um, you know, balance for me, in the physical sense, is a is a metaphor for life, actually. And balance is being able to deal with the the instability that surrounds you in life so the instability that exists in the physical world if you're trying to balance on a railing which is one of my favorite pastimes interacting the elements there's always a bit of wind you know that makes it more, more, more difficult um it feels more challenging today than it did yesterday so it's not just about my ability the fact that i it's something that i can continuously improve i think that is a metaphor you know an analogy for. For my life, So whereas I used to see balance as selecting the sort of attributes that you feel are important, having the correct sort of weighting of all of those things, and that makes for almost like a harmonious life, actually for me, balance is recognizing that it's about how you handle the difficulties, it's when it matters, how you handle the instability, how you handle when there isn't harmony, rather than trying to you know, create a harmonious environment. Mm. So, yeah, so, so balance for me is being able to manage instability rather than being able to manage balance. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: It does, yeah. and it's an ex- excellent answer, and, and it really makes sense given what we've talked about and what the experiences you've gone through. So thank you. Daryl, where can people find out more about Primal Play and, and what you're up to in general?
1: Yeah, the best place is my blog, which is primal Play dot com. So I I have uh, lots of resources. If you want the research, there's lots of evidence and research. I have lots of videos, lots of activities, lots of ideas as to how you can become more playful. So if you feel as if a lot of the things we've spoken about today, you're like, that all sounds well and good, but it's not it's not me, but I'd like it to be me. Then I have sort of hints and tips as to how you can embrace your inner child, how you can access more of your playful playful spirit i also have some free downloads i have some ebooks on the importance of play i have an animal move sampler that you can download for free and i also have some books and products such as the animal moves fitness decks where it just enables you to explore more of this animal movement approach to, to physical activity
0: brilliant daryl thank you so much for your time it's been It's been captivating and uh, just, yeah, a very positive experience chatting with you. So thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Steve. It's been a real pleasure. Perfect. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.